We're going to be getting right into our uh, scripture here shortly. We have been going through this series called Unshakable Faith. And, you know, I originally said it was going to be eight weeks. I lied. Okay? I lied. See, pastors sin too. Um, I'm going to make it only seven, and here's why. I felt, I felt that the, the message that I had set up for this week, I felt it was repetitive. And there's times where repetition is good, and there's times where I think repetition is unnecessary. And I found it unnecessary. And so for the last six weeks, what we have been doing is we have been covering men and women who are heroes of the faith. And so everyone who has come before us in our lives is a lesson and also a champion for hope, for what God can accomplish through us. And here is the part that we as believers need to accept. And I talked about this a little bit last week. I'm really going to hammer on it this week, that our faith has nothing to do with how prosperous or successful we are as deemed by the world's standard. The examples we read today, faith is the building up of our beliefs and finishing well. I encourage you to write that down. Faith is the building up of our beliefs and it is about finishing well. It's obedience no matter what we face and no matter the cost, but to be obedient to God. As I read this scripture today, I want you to listen what, to what happens when you choose obedience, okay? Because everyone we're reading about today were, was obedient to the faith. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be reading through verses 32 through 40. It's the last nine verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. All right, I'm reading out a New Living Translation. If you have an electronic Bible, let's go ahead and get started. It says, how much more do I need to say? Okay, guys, now, now we just read that sentence. We have gone through six weeks up to this point of example after example after example of men and women being used by God in faith. And basically even the author is saying, okay, I'm exhausted. This has exhausted what I can say. It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions quench the flames of fire, and escape death by the edge of the sword. They turned their weakness to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies, excuse me, whole armies to flight. Now everything I just read sounds pretty prosperous, doesn't it? Let's continue going on. Look at what it says in 35 through 36. It says, women received their loved ones back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. God, you are so good. And I pray that we can see beyond circumstances that we face or beyond what you have called us to and, and separating it between what America or our world deems as prosperity or success 
and realize, God, that when we just commit to you, no matter what, Lord, you are faithful. And God, our eternal reward awaits. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Real quick, before I forget, because it is on my mind, something very cool. Our nursery got new carpet on Friday. It's got a memory pad underneath it. So not just your typical pad. I could lay in there right now and fall asleep, no problem. So I encourage you, if you got time after church, if you want to just head down these stairs, you can see it. Um, we've, we have re, uh, my, my mother reupholstered the furniture in there. Um, we, a couple years ago, we put a new TV in there. And this room is looking really nice now. And I, I encourage you to check it out. But today, in going over this scripture, I want to talk. You guys know that I like things in threes, and, and this message is no exception. We're going to have three takeaways from our heroes today. Three takeaways from our heroes. And uh, Brian, if you want to pull that up, our slides, the next thing. Yep. And uh, hopefully, Brian, my message is highlighted on the left side of the screen, as long as things have gone according to plan. But we have three heroes from, or three takeaways from our heroes today, and the first one is their weakness was turned to strength. Now, I want to tell you about my daughter. She's not in the room. I can talk about her now. My daughter is stronger than she believes. There are times when I ask her to do something, and she says she can't do it because she views herself as too weak to do something that I know she can do. Now, maybe it's an excuse, guys. Maybe she's just trying to get out of chores or whatever she, she uh, is, is up to. I don't know. But I'm telling you, there is this barrier in her mind that believes that she is weak. Now, in Scripture, I read of several unexpected heroes. We read about Moses. If you don't remember, Moses was so... He, 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 he was so um, overcome by his speech and the things that he was able to say that he felt it was a weakness, so he asked God to use someone else or bring someone else alongside him that could speak on behalf of him. Finally, God got so fed up with him that he allowed Moses to use his brother Aaron. There was the story of David and Goliath. You know, I love that story. David, he was 12 years old at the time, and he was willing to fight Goliath when the entire nation of Israel, all the army of Israel, was terrified of one dude. Now, I realize he was almost 10 foot tall, but for an entire army to be terrified of one guy, has, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. But a 12-year-old boy versus a giant... Think about it. The ultimate symbol of weakness versus the ultimate symbol of strength. And what did David do? Well, I'll tell you what the army did. Saw the, the, the king put him in his uniform. His, his armor weighed around 125 pounds. I'm sure, I, I'm sure David at the time might not have even weighed 125 pounds. He couldn't, he couldn't carry the weight of it. So he had, to, he had to shed all of that armor. He's like, I don't need that to go to battle with him. And David, what he did was he went to this brook and he picked up five smooth stones. And I've always wondered, why did David pick up Five stones. I don't understand why he would pick up five stones if he trusted in God. And I read something interesting from a scholar. Do you know Goliath had four brothers? Gabe, he had four brothers. He picked up five stones because he was going to kill anyone else in his path too. And here's the thing. David going against Goliath and killing him, it wasn't so much about his skill. And sure, he was skilled. He was skilled with a slingshot. But it was about his belief and trust in God. He didn't have anything to fear. He had God on his side. Then there's another man, another unexpected hero named Gideon. 
And we've, we've done a series on Gideon here before. By all rights, Gideon would have been one of the, the last men you would ever expect to lead an army. <clears throat> It'd be like, I'll use myself as an example. I was going to pick on a guy here, but I won't do that. It'd be like believing that I would be a leader of fierce warriors. Gideon was a man that, he was so terrified of, of the, uh, excuse me, of the Amalekites, or the Midianites, excuse me, that he was hiding in caves, and they were picking their wheat early because they were so worried about the Midianites coming and burning it down. And so he was threshing wheat before it was time. And I don't know if you've ever tried, of course, most of you probably haven't, to thresh wheat before it's ready is almost impossible. So it's taking extra work just to thresh this wheat. So Gideon was a man that he, he wasn't big in stature. He wasn't strong. He wasn't someone who was confident. And when God called him out and said that he was going to be a leader of men and he was going to overcome the Midianites, Gideon was like the last one to the party to accept it. In fact, he went before God and he tested God. God, I have a hard time believing this is you. So he laid a fleece on the ground and then tested God. And then his test came to pass. And then he decided, well, God, that's not good enough. I still don't quite believe you. I'm going to test you again. And so he did. Gideon fought many wars. Not the least of those wars was the, was the war where God told him to dwindle his men all the way down to 300, and 300 men took on 32,000 men. And the battle was won not because of their skill. Guys, check this out. The battle wasn't won because of their skill, but because of their trust and belief in God. Gideon, a man by all accounts, not viewed as a prototypical warrior. Not what the world would select as a leader. I want to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, it says, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. That's what Gideon did. That's what David did. That's what you have the ability to do in Christ Jesus. So you might be sitting here today, and what if you're weak? Maybe, maybe your weakness isn't physical strength. Maybe it's in confidence. Maybe you're not the most educated person in the world. Now I'm going to tell you guys, I, I'm... Just being honest and open. There have been many times that I have not only questioned my mental capabilities, but my physical capabilities. And you might be sitting here today, and you might have questioned things that you are able to do physically, or things that you are able to comprehend mentally. And the lesson that we can gain today from this scripture, and this lesson is not limiting what God can do because of our own perceptions. It's not how you see you. It's how God sees you. See, this, this faith, this faith cannot be about trusting in ourselves or others. It comes down to whether or not we trust God. Do you trust God? Paul, over the course of his ministry, he was imprisoned. He was stoned to the point where it left him permanently disfigured. I want to talk about Paul's stoning for a moment. A man that many revere. A man that wrote over half of our New Testament. A man that when, when he was in a town, he was ministering the gospel and they rejected it. And so what they did... They drug him out to the outskirts of town and they surrounded him. He was standing in the center of this circle and they all had big rocks. And they threw these rocks at him until they knocked him down. And then Paul, overcome with pain, rocks, being stoned, kicked, whatever, they finished it off by taking this huge boulder and they dropped it right on his head. 
left him permanently disfigured. The amazing thing is Paul survived that. They all dropped their rocks and left. And Paul was carried back into town. Now Paul, in Scripture, he asked God to take away something that he referred to as a thorn in the flesh. It could have been this permanent disfigurement. It could have been a sickness or some other ailment we don't know. Paul never said. But he asked God to take this thorn in the flesh away. And I want to read that for you. In 2 Corinthians 12, chapter uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Everyone, I want you to hear that. He says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can you apply this to you? I'm going to tell you. God does not need you to be qualified for a specific task that he is calling you to. God calls you, and then he makes you qualified. God makes you qualified. So the reason I say that is because many people, what we tend to do is we tend to hold back from God, and we think, God, only when I can fulfill these maybe specific duties or specific tasks, or maybe when you align everything perfectly in my life, then, God, then I am equipped and I can do that thing that you're asking me to do. But your willingness to say yes is the very beginning process of God equipping you. Saying yes is the most important part. Wendy and I got engaged at the age of 18. And we got engaged after about a month and a half of dating. You know, I think it's Elvis who said, wise men say only fools rush in. But uh, I remember it being so clear from God that that's who he had for me. And I decided, I, I had all these influences around me saying, man, you need to wait till you have so much money. You need to wait till you have this and this in order. You need to finish college. You need to have the job that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And all these rules. And I thought, but if God is urging me, why am I going to hold back? Why am I going to wait? I will, I will commit to this, and I will expect God to take care and answer all my problems along the way. Now, of course, I just illustrated that in marriage, but the reality is that is true for, for any calling that God calls you to. Guys, when I, when I first decided to go into full-time ministry as a senior pastor, I left a, a full-time job that paid well and a youth pastor job that paid for all my housing and utilities. Wendy and I, we were both managers. We were doing well, and I left for a guaranteed $14,000 a year. I could have said, God, I'm not going to do this until you give me the answer to how my wife is going to work. I'm not going to commit to this until I know that I have another job that I can do down there. I'm not going to say yes to this until I know that I can afford a house or that the schooling is good. And we can put all these things in this path that really what it is, it's creating barriers in our faith. God, you need to do this. You need to equip me for this work before I say yes to it. And that's not what God is asking you to do. He is asking you to say yes now, and then he begins the work in you. Number two, 
suffering for your faith. There's men and women who have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. Some of them were talked about in this scripture today. And I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Was God's favor on the martyrs? Was God's favor on those people who were sawed in half? Was God's favor on people who have been shot and killed for their beliefs? Beheaded? I'm going to tell you, by American standard and American culture and what the church is teaching, God's favor wasn't on them. That's what the church in America is teaching them. And guys, that is utter garbage. I mean, if you want to really work me up, talk about this, because God's favor was on these men and women, and God used them for a very specific purpose, and they were obedient to the calling of God. Eleven of the twelve disciples were recorded as being martyred for their faith. Eleven of the twelve, guys. Many deaths mentioned here in verses 36 and 37. It says some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. These deaths that I describe here, they're gruesome. They were being obedient to what the Lord had called them to and walking in their faith nonetheless. These deaths don't mean that they weren't prosperous or that they did something wrong. In fact, I think these deaths could be a good indicator that they were doing something right. And guys, that's the way naturally that sin wants to react. Sin wants to react in violence. I say these things so that we can have a better view of how God might want to use us and not concern ourselves with what the outcome of God's will is going to be. So many of you enter into something so concerned about the outcome. And guys, I am telling you, don't be concerned about the outcome. If God has called you to it, he's going to take you and lead you through for his will and purpose. And you have to believe that. You have to be committed to it. But I want to talk again about these martyrs. God holds those who have died for their faith in such high esteem that they will not only be elevated in eternity, but God will seek retribution for them. I want to read for you Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. It says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, this was a vision that John saw, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then, listen to this, check this out. Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were, who were uh, to be martyred, had joined them. Then in the end, God is going to have his retribution. God knows whether or not we're living for this world. God knows so stop using this world whether or not you are to determine whether or not you're doing the right thing and determine whether or not God is blessing you.
God has a purpose for everyone who responds to his voice. And I guess ultimately what I would ask you is the outcome more important than the response? I don't think so. I think the most important thing is that first step. Stepping out. Being obedient. Um, I saw on Hulu, they had the movie, I still believe, I, I recommended it to Susan the other day. I, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it yet. Um, it's a story about Christian artist Jeremy Camp. And um, for those of you who don't know his story, and I, I listened to his music like right when it came out, but I, I didn't know his story. And now I'm listening to his music again, that early music, and I see how the music is written about what he was going through at that time. Jeremy Camp met a girl in Bible college, and uh, they, it was an on-again, off relationship. And while they were uh, off, they were off because she wanted to dedicate more of her life to God. And he gets a phone call that she has cancer. And so he drops everything he's doing. He's on like Christmas break, drops everything he's doing and goes to her bedside. And long story short, later that year, they get married in the month of October. And during that time, during their engagement, they actually, you know, she goes through chemotherapy and everything she needs to do. And they're getting ready to do surgery on her to get rid of some cancer. As they open her up, they discover the cancer is gone. And so they're, they're proclaiming this victory over this, and he's doing concerts, and he's telling everyone, look what God has done. Then they get married in October, and shortly thereafter, she gets very sick and is told the cancer is back, and it's extremely aggressive, and there's nothing we can do. His wife died that February. Now, Jeremy Camp helped write the movie, and it's based off of his book. But there was a statement that I'm sure she did say when she was dying because it's such a significant statement. She said, the brightest stars in the sky have the shortest lifespan. You don't know who your light will affect. And some of you here, might be called to victories, notoriety, called to be wealthy. Some of you here might be called to suffer, might be called to go through trials. But if you're obedient to the will of God, does it matter if you suffer? Does it really matter? In the end, I don't believe so. Wendy and I, I, was grown, I grew up in a great home. We didn't always have the most money in the world. I was reminiscing with Wendy last night how I've had my fair share of tuna noodle casserole in my life that I care to never have it ever, ever again. And, uh, but I grew up looking at my upbringing and how life was. And I was thankful. We didn't have close loved ones around me dying. Didn't experience that. My parents made it a priority to save up pennies they had every year so that we could do some sort of family vacation together. We had no sickness really in our family. Nothing significant. And then Wendy and I, we struggled so greatly when we had children of our own that we were told would have a sickness the rest of their life. I blamed God. I said, God, you haven't called me to suffer. God, you don't have this for me. 
And here's the thing, where I know that the God of the universe has the ability to do anything and all things, and God, if he so wants to right now, he can bring healing down upon my boys, and I, I cry out for that in the name of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I have accepted and known that God has also called me to go through trials. God will bring me through suffering. And you know what? All that is for, for gain for Jesus Christ. All that is for the glory of the kingdom and how God is going to use me through this time of suffering to do great things. If it does matter whether or not you experience success or suffering, that's our own selfishness superseding God's will. Now here's the thing, Jeremiah 29, 11, God has great plans for you, great plans for your future. And I am telling you that if you just commit to his will, you are satisfied, you feel prosperous because all of a sudden the rewards, the things that you are storing up is more kingdom-minded things and not earthly-minded things. It's not about that Big, nice car. Like, I want a brand new Toyota Sequoia. Guys, it's not going to happen. It's not about getting that brand new car that you've always wanted. It's not about getting the perfect house. It is about doing everything that God has called you to do and feeling fulfilled by it. That's what should matter. And I know that some of these things that I say might make me sound like a little bit of a lunatic. But I think in these terms, God already knows how your life is going to have the greatest impact on the kingdom. And not just an immediate impact while you're here on the earth, but an impact that will affect future generations. Going back to that movie, I still believe. The family has set up websites dedicated to his wife Melissa's journal. And they have excerpts from her journal that have helped counsel people, lead people to Christ, and let her life be an example of the kind of person that God is calling you to be. Your life, guys, can have an impact. And how you live your life guys, can not only affect your, your eternal outcome, but be the factor in other people's lives as well. There's a man who made MOVE Ministries. You guys know that I'm the director of MOVE, that organization that travels the world. Yes, yes, Aaron, we know, we know. Um, man who made it what it is, his name is Ray Rexius. And Ray, he started a recycling business in Eugene, Oregon, and Ray's a pretty wealthy man. And this recycling business, eventually it produced soil and uh, mulch for landscaping. It's, it's only like a mile from the Bible college that I went to, and the smell of mulch, guys, permeates the entire city of Eugene. Um, but that's another story. But his involvement with MOVE, even as a businessman that oversaw this huge business, he oversaw these trips and he tried to create a better view for the effect of men understanding their purpose in going around the world and building churches. And he was sitting down with a good friend of mine named Dave. And they're talking and Dave looks at Ray after, after this church is built and they're just feeling job well done. And Dave looks at him and says, wow, we will probably be standing one day in heaven with hundreds of people because of building churches like this. And Ray looked at him and said, no, there will be thousands. There will be thousands. And guys, I say that to say you do not know what the impact you are going to have because you were obedient to the voice of God to pour Jesus Christ's truth into someone else's life. You don't know 
what that can do. Thanks, Gabe. See, because how God uses you, church, shouldn't be a choice for you or your choice, but it should be you desiring his will. It should be you desiring his will. Now, Jesus Christ, let's go. I, 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 if there's anyone I love to ultimately reference that supports what I'm saying, it's Jesus. And Jesus emphasized suffering. Listen to what he said in John 16, 33. He says, have I told you all this so that you may have peace in me? Here on earth, you have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Church, your present circumstances, your present suffering, it pales in comparison to his eternal glory. There is nothing that is going to match that here on earth. You aren't going to get even close. So let's drop the idealistic views of what our lives should be and the lives of others. Because if we put that expectation on ourselves, guess what? You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be happy. And so we can examine ourselves this morning and ask, are we being used by God for His will and purpose? Or have we been men and women that are more about our will? And truly ask yourself if you have let this idea of being victorious or suffering overshadow your decisions to pursue faith to its fullest. We need to recognize what Jesus has done for us. And what Jesus has done for us, guys, check this out, should be enough for a fisherman to drop his net and walk away. It should be enough for a tax collector to say, I was making pretty good money doing this, but it's not worth it. It should be enough. Your faith in Jesus should be enough for you to pick up your cross and follow him daily. That's what faith in Jesus is about. Lastly, overcoming the world. It might be hard for you to grasp right now, but God has something better in mind for you. He has something better in mind for you. In our final verse of our text, verse 40, it states, For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Some translation used the phrase made perfect. It translates in the Greek to be made complete. And to be complete in God is the realization of all God's promises in his kingdom. And guys, although God is pouring out his knowledge upon me day in and day out as I seek him, as I pursue him, I'm discovering that the older I get, there is more to learn, there is more to know. And even the wisest man who has ever walked the face of this earth knew that the day he died, he was going to fully realize God's glory. He hadn't gained that perspective quite yet. Aren't you thankful that this present world is not the eternity we are waiting for? God didn't create you so that you would fall in love with your current situation. He wants you to see that you are only truly complete in Him. Everything we face in this life, church, should reinforce not only his creation of mankind, but that he has something better in mind for those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
has something better in mind. He doesn't call us to suffer. He doesn't call us to experience injustice, racial disparity. He calls us for so much more. So much more. So we need to trust in him and follow his guidance and do what he asks of you. And so not only, when you start making those small steps, you will find that he wants, he wants direct involvement of, of your life. He wants that influence. He wants to point you in the right directions. He wants you to be obedient. And you will find that when you step out, even when the place that you're stepping seems very uncertain, that he has been guiding you to that place the whole time. He wants what's best for you. And best for you might not line up with what you think is best. That's why we have to trust. Wendy and I, we were both 21 at the time when we went to Papua New Guinea to do missions work for two months. And two years before that, I was sitting in a service, and there was a prophet there at the service. And guys, I got, man, prophets freak me out. They freak me out because if they have that gift where they have the gift of foresight to be able to pour into your life and, and, let, God, and let you know what God is up to, it kind of scares me. And I was in a crowd of about 250 people, and he called me out. But he said, two years from now, God's going to open big doors for you. Two years later, I met the missionaries who would, we would be going with to Papua New Guinea. So I'm going to tell you this story. Wendy and I were in Papua New Guinea. The only place she'd ever been out of the country is Tijuana, Mexico at the age of five. And I had only been to Trinidad, but I did go, I, I did go, um, my brother and I, we, we went without our parents. And uh, so here I am, Papua New Guinea, and this missionary that we're with, we're getting ready. We, we paid for a helicopter ride to this very remote area, and we're going to stay there a week. And Wendy and I, we get all our stuff, we throw it on the helicopter. And guys, this is incredibly far from civilization. It was about an hour ride in the helicopter. And so we get out of, we get out, this is a big missions base, but there's only two people in the area that speak English. And everyone else, I'd been learning pidgin English because it's pretty easy to learn. No one in that area spoke pidgin English, they all spoke this language foray. If you did not know, Papua New Guinea has 750 different languages. And so everyone in this, this region spoke foray. And so I remember Mike takes us to the house that we're going to be staying in, and he's like, the generator shuts off at 5 o'clock. You don't have any power after 5. And uh, so we're just, we're just getting our bearings, and all of a sudden Mike goes, well, I'll see you guys in a week. We didn't know that he was going back home. So all of a sudden this helicopter leaves, and I am looking at Wendy going, oh, no. What do we do now? And I got to tell you, you know, we were, we were the only people besides two that could speak broken English in the area, and we felt lost. And I demonstrated, Butch and Diana, I demonstrated you their greeting here a couple weeks back. Um, they have a unique, I don't, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing, it's fine. I, there's three more weeks left of this, it, it's fine, you'll endure. And... Uh, Anyways, the women would come up to me. Bear in mind, they don't speak my language. I have an interpreter standing next to me telling, telling me what they're saying. They reach around. They don't hug. They went, and these women grabbed my butt. They grabbed my butt. Then the women went up to Wendy, and they grabbed her chest. And they said, you both are so fat. The Lord has blessed you. <laughs> like, I... It, it, was, it was such a crazy moment in my life. Here I am scared out of my mind. I'm just thinking, man, there is no one that I can communicate my fears with around here. I don't know what's going to happen. Man, things in New Guinea, they're Old Testament. There was a guy that escaped prison. He killed a guard with a machete, 
right? I mean, there's just crazy things that go on there. And like the, the police showed up and, and threatened people because they were just having some a domestic violence dispute and said, if you guys don't stop, we're going to burn down your whole village. Wendy and I were terrified to be alone. We didn't know what was going to happen. No. But we were obedient to the Lord. We did what God called us to do. And he took care of us. So that I can tell you these goofy stories. 18 years later, 19 years later. You cannot take the approach that God has to act before you do something. When God speaks, that is when it is time for you to act in faith. It's about taking these steps when you don't have the answers, when you don't know, when you're completely trusting in his plan. And sometimes the plan, it fulfills God's purpose. But if you knew God's full purpose and his full plan before you said yes, you might not want to do it. You might say, I'm out. And maybe you would have never stepped out if you had known. But God wanted to use you for his specific will. There's a movie that I love that I introduced Gabe to here a couple weeks ago, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And there's this scene where he's, he's going to get the Holy Grail and he's got to pass this gauntlet, basically. And there is an invisible walkway that goes across this vast cavern. And he knows that he's supposed to trust and he can't doubt that the walkway is there. And so he just steps out and falls forward and lands on this invisible walkway. Guys, his faith wasn't that great. He had to scatter pebbles on it just so when he was coming back through. Um, but what we learn is stepping out and trusting God is about not having the answers. It's about not knowing the outcome, but just doing and being obedient to it. And so for you, what I want to leave you with today, and I've gone a little bit long, but we've had a couple other things that have gone on today. Is that the only way that you're going to overcome the world is through Jesus Christ. Stepping out in true faith starts by believing in Him. And to me, that, that is faith in its simplest form. It's just committing to Jesus and seeing what, what God does and what will happen. It's trusting that God sent his son to redeem mankind of our sin. See, sin, it has a way of trapping us. It has a way of ensnaring us. And it puts us in bondage with no way out. And as far as any law deemed by God or man, we have all broken it. We all have. And breaking law always demands punishment. It always demands punishment. Whether here on earth or in eternity. But Jesus Christ took that punishment absolving us from eternal damnation. Church, I don't know about you, but that for me is a reason to celebrate today. I am absolved of eternal damnation because of my faith in Jesus Christ. I was reading scripture this morning in my Bible reading, Luke chapter 16, and I read something I swore I had never read it before, and it blew my mind, but Jesus was telling this story about a man, that, you know, but before, before Christ came and we understood what heaven was, they had a thing they referred to as Abraham's bosom, and th those were men and women who, who died, who believed in God, and they weren't quite in heaven yet. And Jesus talked about this great chasm and one went to Abraham's bosom and, and the other one went into what we read as hell. 
And he was crying out, just, just hoping for the opportunity to get to where the other man was. And what I am telling you, churches, we are all deserving of that outcome, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, through his son, Jesus Christ, I can be set free of my sin. You can be set free of your sin. We can walk in freedom together. And our eternal outcome is not determined by our past. Praise God. I'm going to finish this up with scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. It says, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I want every one of you, your heads to bow, eyes to close. I'm going to make this call simple today. Maybe you are sitting here this morning and you have a sense of guilt or shame. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ calls us not to be people that walk in guilt or shame. We walk in freedom. We walk in peace. And guilt and shame are always a result of sin. And it's a tool used by Satan. And maybe today your guilt and shame is there because of sin. And I am here to tell you, you can be set free of that through faith in Jesus Christ. And if today you would say, Pastor, I choose Jesus. I don't want to walk in this burdensome past anymore. And if that is you, if you say, Pastor, I want to choose Jesus today, would you raise your hand? Is there anyone here? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Where you're sitting, what I want you to do is I want you to raise both hands to God. Believers, do this as well. Father God, you see everyone sitting here. And God, you know what is on their hearts. And God, as they cry out to you right now, Lord, as they have sensed this guilt and this shame, and Lord, Satan and, and sin has a way of doing that. And also, Satan has a way of trying to remind us of our past. God, we declare we are set free through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do not have to walk in that guilt or shame anymore. We claim both his death and his resurrection, Father. And we know that he is sitting at your right hand right now as our mediator. God, we thank you for him. Lord, we honor him with our lives and our walk right now. And so, God, that as we move on from this place, Lord, everything we have talked about through this faith series, God, may we apply it to our lives, and may we be people that are not only bringing light into darkness, God, but we are example to everyone we come in contact with, not holding back from anybody. I thank you, Father. Lord, you are so good. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.